Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is not Tuesday. We are a little bit behind our usual schedule this week, but it is still Draft Deep Dives Day today, which of course means that I'm here with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, Tyler Metcalf, back from an extended vacation out in the middle of nowhere. Tyler, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm I'm back from the wilderness. Uh, just a, a lovely, sh- short little ski vacation with uh, my, my dad and brother. So it, it was nice to get out there, step away from stuff for a little bit, cle- clear the head. But uh, very very excited to be back and talking some draft with you. So let's start out today by talking about the first of the prospects we're going to discuss, and someone who you recently wrote about over at No Ceilings NBA. So. If you haven't checked out Tyler's recent piece on Jalen Williams' pick-and-roll versatility, definitely go to No Ceilings NBA to check that out. To be clear, this is the Arkansas Jalen Williams, not the Santa Clara Jalen Williams, who we have also written about over at No Ceilings. But with the Arkansas Jalen Williams, he does really well in the most important offensive play type for a big man these days in terms of just how well he can perform in a variety of different situations in the pick and roll. But talk a little bit more about what you've seen from him as a screen role player. Yeah. And when, when we talk about big men, you know, and their ability to screen, it's not always, you know, the, the sexiest skill to talk about or dissect. And a lot of the times it gets made fun of like with Rudy Gobert and his screen assists. Um, but it, it's such an important skill for big men to have because it completely opens up a lot of different things that the offense can do um, with most kind of pick and roll centers. Now in the NBA, we see them as these vertical spacing big men, which is super important. But what really stood out to me with Jalen Williams is that he's not that at all. In fact, I wouldn't even classify or I, I would label his lack of vertical spacing as essentially a weakness, but his ability to score and create different looks out of the pick and roll as a screener, I think is really valuable. And the fact that he knows that he's not this vertical spacing center, but has all the skills and agility and footwork and awareness to attack on the different situations is really important where, and he, he's really effective rolling hard to the rim where he can receive a pocket pass and, you know, finish with a dunk or a floater or a kick out out of the short roll. He's a really smart passer. And then even though his shooting numbers aren't super impressive, the touch and indicators are there that suggest that eventually he will become a really quality, you know, pick and pop shooter. Um, currently, when he pops, a lot of his kind of scoring opportunities come with either a floater or um, like a mid-range pull-up um, or just driving and attacking the basket. But there there are flashes here and there of him popping out to three and shooting off the catch, and it looks really good. So even though the percentages aren't necessarily there yet, all of the indicators are really promising that this guy can provide a different look as a screener and then a different ability to kind of attack the defense after that screen, whether he's, you know, actually setting the screen, slipping out of it, popping for three, rolling hard to the rim. It's just a bunch of different looks that he provides. So it's interesting that his athleticism is a weakness, given that the sort of prototypical pick and roll big man is just going to be your DeAndre Jordan, Mark Williams type athlete, right? Yeah, so that's right. a really strong screen and just runs to the rim and throws down vicious lob dunks, which isn't really Jalen Williams's game, but what I thought was really interesting that you also brought up in the piece is 
how effective he is at slipping screens and scoring in situations where he's slipping the screen. Mm -hmm. And that I think leads into some of what you were talking as well with his three point shooting and his potential to be more of a long range shooter long-term. It's kind of weird to talk about this way because you think about this more with playmakers, but he makes really good decisions with his screens. You know, when he sets really hard screens, when he slips and rolls to the rim, when he tries to make his way out to space on the perimeter and the variety of tools in his toolkit makes it easier for him to do that. But it is really interesting to see that even though he doesn't have the sort of top flight athleticism that he still finds basically every other way to be incredibly effective in the screen and roll game. Yeah. And I, you know, that that's a testament to kind of the chemistry that he's built with his guards because they have to be able to read him really well. And a lot of the times yeah. he's making these decisions at the last second based on where he's feeling his defender, where if, if he's feeling them really high and, you know, prematurely hedging the screen, he's slipping to the rim or slipping out to the wing where he can then either attack off the dribble um, as they try to scramble back to him or shoot or score the floater or, really attack in any way that he wants. So that, that chemistry and it's, it's really something you can tell that they've worked on over and over and over again. And just when you look at what he kind of does out of the pick and roll, it's really varied where he pick sets a pick and pops 38% of the time rolls to the basket, uh, 42% of the time and slips the pick almost 19% of the time. So as a defender, you don't really know what, he's gonna do and it's hard to really defend him where guys like you know I, I love Mark Williams I think Mark Williams is a better prospect than Jalen Williams right now but defending him out of the pick and roll is a little easier because you know that he's rim running you know that he's trying to catch a lob and finish with a dunk with Jalen Williams you have to be so disciplined in your defensive positioning because if you take one wrong step he's countering it and moving to an open area yeah, you mentioned the counters, and I think maybe the biggest counter that you certainly mentioned in the piece is how good he is with his floater. And especially given that he's not going to be the most athletic of big men at the NBA level, you know, his ability to find something and be able to score effectively when he can't make his way all the way to the rim is also really encouraging for his future offensive development at the NBA level. Yeah, and whenever we talk about the floater, you know, I, I always think of our conversation with Kennedy Chandler and how frustrating it is that he can't really score in that intermediate area. You know, not not necessarily the mid range, but that intermediate between the rim and I guess the mid range. Um, so I guess probably short mid range. Um, but Williams is already in the ninety eighth percentile with his runner, and having that skill is super important because it shows that he has the body control and awareness to avoid charges. He has a touch that should hopefully um, project out to a, a more reliable outside shot. And it's just another way that he can finish that most big men don't have because they don't have the body control, the touch to, you know, finish out of the short roll with that soft floater, because most of the time they're looking to dunk or finish at the rim. And the fact that he can stop, five to 10 feet short and hit that floater consistently and at an extremely high level is just such a different scoring look that most big men don't provide. So I do want to go back to the shooting just briefly. Now, 
on the one hand, it's not exactly great that he's shooting 24% from three on a little under two attempts per game. But as you mentioned in the piece, and also as I can go back to as the partial free throw truther, you mentioned <laughs> in the fact that he's a pretty solid free throw shooter. There's definitely a lot of reason to believe in his touch, especially when you sort of factor in just how good he is from that floater range. And I think for him, in terms of playing at the next level, I mean, his lack of athleticism is going to be more of a concern than it is in the college game. I don't think that's particularly much of a hot take to say, but that I think in turn makes it all the more important for him to be able to have that three-point shot be more of a weapon. So I'm curious, where do you think his three-point shooting settles out, let's say in the first two years of his pro career? Because I don't think he's going to be an elite knockdown type guy by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think low 30s is out of the question, which would certainly be a bump up from where he's at right now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty much right there with you. I, I think the kind of low 30% would be enough. And, you know, he doesn't have to be great at it. He doesn't have to be, and I don't think he will be a 40% three-point shooter, but just being able to knock down 32% of his, you know, catch and shoot threes out of the pick and pop is, you know, going to be really important. And wh- whenever I kind of watch him, I constantly see a lot of like Nas Reed and Nas Reed isn't mm. a stellar three-point shooter. Um, You know, his rookie year, he was at 33% and the last two years he's been at 35%. So I if he can just hit in that 33% range, that will force you know, that his defender to scramble back to him. And then Williams has proven over and over again that he can really attack those scrambling defenses and either create for others because he's a really good passer or just finish at the rim. So as he kind of, he, he's got to prove that he needs to be respected, um, you know, not necessarily to a hard closeout respected, but can't be left completely wide open respected. And we now move on to talking about the third Williams of the podcast when discussing Jalen. No, the fourth Williams, because we talked about both Jalen Williamses. But something that we talked about last week with a very different player who has one sort of similarity in this regard is Alondis Williams out of Wake Forest in the sense that the rest of his game is good enough that you don't really need the three-point shot to be anything more than like a vague deterrent of mm-hmm. if you leave me wide open, I will knock down 33% of these and I'll take three of them a game. You know, it doesn't need to be the main facet of his game. It just needs to be a complement to the rest of his skill set. Right. And, and I think it will be. Um, and even if, you know, it just gets to a point where he, he slips the screen, pops out to the left wing and, as that pass is made to him, the defender has to at least kind of hedge towards him out of the corner. That's kind of split second of indecision is more than enough for him to either attack or make that extra pass to the corner shooter or cutter um, for an open shot. And that that's all the level we're talking about here. And it, it doesn't have to be this elite skill for big men to be able to shoot from outside. It just has to be decent enough that it makes the defender think and that's exactly what we talked about with Alondis Williams is that when that skip pass comes to him is the defender hesitating are they closing out on him and when they do close out can Williams you know punish them for that punish them and counter their momentum and 
Jalen Williams has consistently shown that he has the skill and athleticism or at least agility to do that on a pretty consistent basis. Yeah, his vertical athleticism is not that great, but his lateral quickness and agility mm-hmm. is pretty solid. And that's, I think, almost more important for the kind of player that he is. But the other thing with Jalen Williams is that he's a good passer, which I think just fits in really well with the rest of what he does, you know, especially if he's slightly more of a threat from long range, you can feel more comfortable with him having the ball in his hands out on the perimeter, certainly more than you might for your standard sort of roll to the rim kind of big man. Yeah. And whenever we talk about, you know, creating out of the short roll, it's such a rare skill for most, you know, pick and roll heavy or roll heavy centers because it requires such a high processing speed. It's really, really high level of body control and just overall awareness because just catching and going to the rim is what is so ingrained in most of these big men from such an early age that it can take a while to really process, okay, where's the defensive rotation coming from? How do I stop my momentum? And where am I kicking out to? And Williams doesn't have really any issues doing that at all. Um, You mentioned his lateral quickness and agility that's where I, with his passing out of the short roll, I think that's where really, really shines on offense because he's sidestepping defensive rotations and dumping off to cutters. Um, you know, he's stopping on a dime and kicking out to open shooters. So that, that ability to create for others out of that short roll is going to be super important because his quick decision making of, am I setting the screen or am I slipping? And then his ability to find guys consistently um, to counter those defensive rotations is going to be a really special weapon for a defense, especially off the bench if the end, if they're playing kind of like a five out system. I mean, the main thing that seems to shine through with Williams is there are fewer things that he doesn't do on the offensive end than things Mm -hmm. that he does do on the offensive end. And, you know, as I talk about frequently with guys earning their way into minutes, finding pathways into rotations, you know, the more diverse your skill set, especially as a six foot 10 dude, the easier it is to find your way into playing time. Yeah. And he, he just does a little bit of everything at a really high level, except the shooting right now. But as we talked about, you know, we both expect that to improve to at least a respectable level. Um, but the the thing that I found in, about the variety of his screening offense is what that could suggest he could do in other facets of the offense. Um, You know, not as like a prime, like a point center or anything like that, but I think more kind of operating from the elbow and creating for others from there or creating his own offense from that area of the floor. So I, I just think his, his ball skills, his awareness, his agility. I just think there's a lot there that really shines in his pick and roll offense that suggests he could do a lot more um, in the rest of the offense. That's interesting. I don't think of him really as someone who's going to be much of a high level scorer at the next level, but Mm -hmm. he does feel like someone who can sort of be a connecting piece, you know, someone who comes off the bench 10 to 15 minutes a game, you know, helps uh, with the high low passing between big men helps get the ball out to the perimeter to, whoever the guards are he's playing with. It just feels like there are a lot of different ways that he could fit into the offense. And 
maybe self-generated offense isn't really the way to go with that, or at least I don't think that he should really be focusing on scoring as much with the ball in his hands, but him with the ball in his hands presents a lot of interesting problems for the defense, and most of those problems aren't necessarily just, oh, no, we're worried that Jalen Williams is going to go get a bucket on us. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, I, I, and I've seen some people saying he should be a top 20 pick. I, that That's a little rich for me. But as a backup center who, like you said, comes in for 15-ish minutes a game, I think he presents a real difficult matchup um, for defenses because of his versatility, his ability to read the floor, move the ball, do all that kind of stuff. So just from a matchup standpoint and an offensive versatility standpoint and just providing a new look, there's a lot of really fun things I think an NBA offense could do with him. So before we move on, I do just want to touch quickly on his defense, which is not exactly going to be the calling card for him at the next level. He does rate out as average per synergy in terms of his defense, but most of that is buoyed by really good numbers against role men in pick and roll and just abysmal numbers elsewhere defensively. So how are you are you worried about his defense? And I guess the follow-up from that is if you're worried about his defense, how worried are you about his defense? Because I'm a little worried, but I mean he was never gonna earn his way onto the floor with strong defensive play anyway. So I don't think it's the end of the world, but I don't know. I'm I'm a little concerned is I guess the way I'd put it. I'm super confused by it because I, I think he has the kind of lateral quickness and agility to defend in space. Um, and he's taken an obscene amount of charges this year, which really suggests a high level of awareness and timing on rotations, which I, I th- think is legit, even though a lot of his, if you go back and look at some of his, the charges he's drawn, a lot of them are just really bad calls of refs not being able to contain themselves of punching the air in the other direction. Um, also, why would you go back and watch college charge calls? Because that's what it is ninety eight percent of the time. Yeah. So I like that. I don't think is going to translate as effectively as it is in college because college refs love nothing more than calling charges. Um, but it does. I, it, it hints at a, a really high level understanding of you know, weak or off ball rotations and stuff like that. But I just really, really concerned that his lack of explosiveness is going to be a huge issue. And I think if he, if you don't want to die defensively when with him on the floor, he's got to be paired with someone who's a better kind of weak side rim protector or has a little more vertical pop, because I don't think he provides really anything in terms of rim protection. I also think a lot of the defensive issues with him may be a symptom of how Arkansas is using him because they just drop him heavy and he's pretty much just planted at the top of that restricted arc. A lot of the time in the NBA, he's not going to be able to do that as much because guys will be able to really kill him uh, more consistently with floaters and mid-range pull-ups than they can in college. So he gets away with a lot there, but in the NBA, I think if they use him more at the level of the screen, and he's able to use that vertical agility, or not vertical, uh, lateral, um, I think he could be a little more effective. So I, I'm, he just really confuses me on defense because I, I think he provides zero in terms of rim protection, but I also think he's not being used in 
the best way possible in terms of NBA translation. I certainly think that he could be more useful in space than as a primary rim protector, which I think is kind of a no-go at the next yeah. level. Yeah. But something I think about for him, which we discussed with Kendall Brown earlier this year is, wow, Kendall Brown is so good at scoring on cuts. How come he can't defend them like at all? And with Jalen Williams, I don't know. I mean, the level of awareness that he displays on the offensive end Coupled with the fact that his only really good defensive play type right now on Synergy is as someone guarding the role man, I think he'll do a decent job defending in space as long as he's got, you know, a serious athlete along with him in the front court. But I mean, you could also argue that him in the system that he's in at Arkansas is so much worse for what he's actually going to be good at defensively than the kind of schemes he's more likely to be playing in at the NBA level. Yeah, and that, that that's the thing that I keep struggling with is are my defensive concerns a symptom of what I'm seeing him do or is what he's doing a symptom or are they playing him because of what he can't do? You know, so it's it's just it's one of those conundrums that I'm really struggling to wrap my head around and I keep going back and forth and I'm not sure it's what I'm ever really going to be able to firmly land on how I view his defense until you know we see it in the at the nba level um i I know that i really am worried about his lack of rim protection but i'm also really intrigued and hopeful that his potential weak side rotations and ability to move in space could you know generate a, a much better and more consistent defender than what we've seen in college because the just the, the volume of charges he's drawing right now it's not going to translate to the NBA and I don't think you can really take those charge numbers and be like oh well this is going to be an immediate tool yes who will draw charges in the NBA but I also don't want my primary rim protector's main defensive skill to be drawing charges well, hey, maybe he ends up in Miami and goes on the Kyle Lowry treatment and just actually does continue to draw that many charges well, and it, it, he he certainly had a or made an impression on college refs. So if he's that charming in the NBA, then it, it wouldn't stun me. So let's now move on to the second prospect that we're going to talk about today. And I will fully admit that this is a prospect who has confused me a lot, which is not something that I should be saying literally the day that I wrote an article about this player over at No Ceilings NBA. So for my Sleeper Deep Dives article today, I wrote about Ohio State's Malachi Branham. And I thought that I was someone who was pretty high on him as, you know, pretty clearly top of the second round guy, maybe even a chance to move into the first round. And then I wrote the piece and then we were talking about it in our No Ceilings group chat the other day. And I realized that I am nowhere near close (laughs) to the highest member of our group on Malachi Branham. And I did not think that would be the case coming into writing this article. So I'm curious for an outside perspective, what are your thoughts on what Malachi Branham has done so far this season? Yeah. When, when I I saw that you're doing him for your sleeper, I'm like, is he really a sleeper? Like, come on, Nick. Like he, he, he's maybe he was when I was planning (laughs) to write the piece. (laughs) No, I, I mean, yeah. So he's, his emergence has been really impressive because it's just been steady growth in production all season long. And he's one of these likely um, one and done guys. And entering the season, I certainly didn't think that at the start of the season, 
it was like, oh, okay, there are some really interesting two-way tools for this guy. Like he's solid now, but next year I think he could take a big jump. And then he just kind of made that jump about halfway through the season and kept building a, and building on it. So I I have him at like 26 or 27 or late first round right now. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what he does because the, I'm not sure that the hype around him or his stock could get much higher, but if he comes back for another year and really takes over that offense and really ups just his production across the board, which seems hard to do given his level of production right now, but he could be one of those guys that we see make a massive jump into, you know, top 10 conversation next year. It also wouldn't surprise me if he stays in and goes late lottery because a lot of what he does and what he's done this year suggests that there's a lot to work with there and the tools and foundation of just a really, really good two-way shooting guard. So that was kind of where I came down on it in a sense is that given just how dramatically he's blown up in the last three, four weeks, it seems like there's at least some NBA team that's going to take a chance on him as a first round guy. I also Mm -hmm. have him back end of the first round right now, but the thing with Branham is, I mean, for the early portion of the season and even in the later portion of the season, but certainly more so in the early portion of the season, he was really playing in the shadow of EJ Liddell who himself was the subject of a sleeper deep dives piece a couple of months ago and now has pretty I don't know. It seems like consensus is that Liddell's a pretty clear first rounder at this point, yeah. but given the leap that Branham's made in the last few weeks, I mean, he's born in Columbus, Ohio, went to high school at St. Vincent, St. Mary in Akron. And if he returns to Ohio state and does better with, you know, the primary spotlight on him rather than being sort of the secondary man behind EJ Liddell, I mean, he could very easily be a Jaden Ivey, Benedict Matherin type where has a really solid first season, comes back for the sophomore year and cements himself as a lottery pick. So I don't know. I'm not sure what I would do if I were in Brandon's shoes in this case because my go-to has always been declare, 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 declare. There is mm-hmm. no reason for you to play your basketball for free for the scummy overlords of the NCAA. But you know, now with name and image licensing rights, it's an easier decision to stay back in college. And if there's anyone who would stay back in college, I mean, to be the big man on the Ohio state team, when you're from Columbus and have lived your whole life in Ohio, I, I certainly could see him making that choice. And I'm not sure I would be all that mad at it, even though I think he's a player who will make a serious push for a first round slot. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard with him because I, I, I could really see him going either way, which I know is not great analysis, but I I see him more as a second second or third guy at his peak in the NBA. And I'm worried that if he goes back for another year without EJ Liddell and some of the other guys on that team, all of the focus on him will really minimize what he's done. And I could see his it wouldn't shock me if his stock kind of plummeted like we've seen with some other guys. Um I I really worry about his lack of space creation. Um, I, I think when you, if you go back through, like, like you said, these last two months, 
his pick and roll and mid range numbers have been really, really impressive. And his ability to score and shoot off the dribble has been really absurd, but it's a lot of really tough shots. And I worry that that high volume of being a, of making a lot of really tough shots isn't going to translate super well because we, we haven't seen that high level wiggle and ability to create space um, consistently. And he kind of has a slow release on his jumper that I think is a little more fixable than the inability to create space. But if he's, if he goes back to school and is pegged as the number one option on every single possession on every single night, I think he could face a really difficult learning curve, which could do significant damage to his stock. Whereas if he goes out this year, he's this 18 year old who has shown some really interesting flashes of on-ball creation, but has been absolutely deadly as an off-ball player. Um, And then with that, I think teams would be a little more willing to take that shot at him in the first round this year and really raise that off-ball effectiveness while slowly molding and evolving that on-ball creation. So all of the points that you brought up regarding your concerns are very good points, and I agree with all of them. My only real counter, my only real counter is what he's done from the free throw line recently. So I mentioned this in the piece, but in his first 10 games this season, he attempted six free throws total. In his last eight games, he's gone to the line 46 times. And that, I think, is the really big difference for me with – Yes, he's not the greatest athlete in the world. Yes, he struggles with self-creation to an extent. But I think if he can just consistently get to the free throw line the way that he has been the last few games, when you combine that with the rest of his game, you know, with his shooting touch, with his ability to make difficult shots, I think that that really is going to be the key for him if he does make that sort of leap say next year into being a top five, top 10 player is just, it's going to be him putting his head down and just getting to the line relentlessly. Because I mean, once he does get there, he's an 82% free throw shooter, but you know, more to the point, he barely got there at all during the beginning of the season when he was playing a much smaller role in the Ohio state system. And as the season has gone on and he's, you know, played a larger role in the Ohio state offense he's just been getting to the line with this incredible frequency. So or certainly incredible frequency compared to where he was earlier in the season. So I think if he can continue to find ways to get himself to the charity strike, that those concerns about his offense falling off will be a little bit muted, but I'm definitely with you in the sense that even though EJ Liddell might've muted his spotlight a little bit, Branham has also heavily benefited from not being the number one guy on this Ohio state team. Yeah. And that, that, that's, Fair. And I I think that those free throw numbers really correlate pretty directly with the increase in usage that he saw. And mainly that really came out of the pick and roll um, where he's on the season. He's in the 97th percentile in points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler, which is just really absurd. Um, And, you know, out of that, when he dribbles off the pick, he gets fouled on three point or 3% of his dribble jumpers, 8% on his floaters and seven and a half percent when he takes it to the basket. So his ability to really get to a spot and be a really effective straight line driver, 
you know, helps him create these scoring opportunities out of the pick and roll and create these and generate these fouls at, at, a, at a pretty high rate, like you mentioned. My only worry is that I think EJ Liddell might be one of the best pick and roll partners in the country right now. And without him, what does that look like next year? And how much does that hurt his stock? So I, I do think that there there absolutely is that chance that Branham, you know, really jumps up and surges into the top 10 for next year's draft. But if he's getting talked about as, you know, a top 25 pick this year and kind of viewing the landscape of what is this Ohio State team going to look like next year? I, I think they'd be so difficult for him to to go back to school. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I mean, again, I almost always lean towards the player is better off declaring for the NBA than mm-hmm. going back to school. But I don't know, maybe I just think that there's more of the upside of he could really blossom if he goes back versus your admittedly very fair concerns about what might happen when he doesn't have as many other players around him to sort of take the focus off him. And it's just really all about him being the focal point of the offense, because I don't think he's ever going to be a primary scorer type in the NBA. He's, I think, really going to be at his best more as a complimentary type guy. And you know, maybe he comes back next season and proves that perception wrong, but maybe also he comes back next season and proves that right. And he looks kind of dumb for coming back or, you know, the by far greatest odds of any of these scenarios that we've presented is just, he goes, he declares he's drafted somewhere in the twenties and we're all pretty happy with that. Yeah. But so I, to, to kind of circle back to him making that jump, I, I do think there's l- like a real legitimate shot that that happens. I'm just curious if Ohio state is the best place for that to happen, or if the NBA is the best spot for that to happen, where he's getting minutes as an off ball guy initially, but then in practice and in workouts and all of that stuff behind the scenes, he's really evolving his on ball creation because I think eventually there is potential for him to, really get there and that's because of his passing and i i I think his passing consistently gets slept on and not mentioned as much because of how impressive his scoring has been but his ability to consistently deliver really accurate passes from a variety of angles i think could really take him to the next level Where, where are you at with his passing it's interesting because I think that fits very nicely with the pick and roll discussion that we were having earlier and the fact that he's in the 97th percentile. You know, if you can get a little bit better at creating for others out of those pick and roll opportunities, maybe you get a few more of those opportunities and then, you know, you get to show off that 97th percentile type skill set. I mean, I think for him to hit his sort of ultimate ceiling slash upside, it's, you know, a similar kind of thing to you mentioned to what you mentioned and something that we've talked about before with Devin Booker and Zach Levine. And those are guys who are a national and above Branham, I think, and mm-hmm. Aiden Ivy as well in this class, you know, similar type of idea where if this guy can do a lot of great things with the ball in his hands, why don't we try and have the ball in his hands more and, you know, live with a few mistakes, live with a few, you know, down possessions, which that's, I think also an interesting debate. Is he better off, you know, getting those reps mostly behind the scenes in an NBA practice environment or getting those reps just as the main guy at Ohio State in a theoretical Ohio State offense next season. And I don't know, that's, you know, 
one of the many kinds of tricky questions about the evaluation of all these things. Yeah, and it'll be he's just one, he's one of many in this draft where I'm just incredibly fascinated by what decision they make uh, come that deadline. Um, because I, I could honestly see it going a variety of ways. The the temptation of going back to your hometown college where you grew up being the guy for a Big Ten program, that, that's really intriguing, especially with you know a skill set that suggests should keep growing and improving. Um, and it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he came back and was a top 10 pick. I, I certainly wouldn't bet against it. But that ability to, I, I think he has the two-way, two, I think he currently has the two-way uh, production to go into an NBA team right now and at least contribute at some level. You know, I, I don't think he's going to be a starter from day one by any means, but it won't surprise me if he got 10 minutes a night as the seventh, eighth man in a rotation and played mostly off ball and then towards the end of games or blowouts or whatever, he, that was when he's given these on ball reps to really kind of show what he's, you know, working on and what he has in his game and, you know, help him eventually take that jump. Because I, I, I think what he has shown throughout the season and the level of growth and improvement and production, just the, the mix of all of that, I think is so intriguing and enticing, especially from an NBA team who constantly looks for these versatile wings who can do who can score pass that he is really good at all of that it'll be interesting i don't think i'm as high on his defense as many people are so i don't think the primary focus should be to try and slot him into a three and d type role but i mean something that we haven't really mentioned so far which is kind of wild is that he's shooting 44 percent on his three pointers Mm -hmm. which you know he could definitely serve to shoot a lot more of them, which I talked about in the article, but the fact that he's knocking down 44% of his triples, and I think he could put a few more pounds on his frame, but 6'5", 6'6", with a 6'10", wingspan, you know, pretty good wing size as well. I mean, there are a lot of different ways that you could see him fitting into an NBA context, and I think for me, the question is, you know, does a team just say, we're going to view him as a three and D type guy, and we're going to sort of stick him in that role. And if he gets the ball, it's going to be spot up opportunities. And we're going to ask him to defend on the other end. Or do they allow him a little bit more freedom to have the ball in his hands? And that I think might be the kind of thing where if he goes like 18, 19, he might get a lot more freedom in that kind of a role than if he goes, say, 26, 27, you know, to one of the last teams of the first round. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a fine defender. I don't think he's great. I, I think there's some stuff there to like, but the consistency has been rough. And and that's aligned pretty well with, you know, his, his uptick in usage. So maybe it's just a youth thing and, you know, something he needs to learn how to properly kind of expound, expand his energy in different areas. Um, but I, I think there's enough there defensively to be intrigued by and to like, um, not necessarily like, oh, he's going to be this defensive stopper. But in terms of being that three and D guy, I, th- I think that will be kind of a disservice to his skills. And I, I, w- I would want a little more on ball stuff from him. I, the, the off ball shooting is absurd. I mean, he's in the 94th percentile 
shooting off the catch, which is just wild and 85th percentile on all jump shots. But his ability to attack in straight lines and really pass and create for others out of drives and just from the top of the key would that, that that passing ability just really would really make it hard for me to not put the ball in his hands at least some of the time. All right. Anything else you want to cover before we wrap things up? Maybe plug something, say, for tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. Uh, tomorrow I will have a piece on Ochai Baji's off-ball scoring yes. um, over yes. on No Ceilings. Uh, he, he, he was awesome today against West Virginia per usual, uh, big 10 player of the, or big 12 player of the year, excuse me. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that one. It, it should be a fun one. Well, definitely check out that article when it goes live as longtime listeners know, Agbaji has been a favorite of both of ours for a while. So this is, this is a long time coming this particular piece. <laughs> it certainly is. He, he, the, he I, I, yeah, I, I just love everything he does on the court. All right. Well, you can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find his work on No Ceilings NBA as well as hashtag basketball and Canis Hoopus. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N as well as finding my work on No Ceilings NBA, hashtag basketball and Nets Republic. As I mentioned during the podcast, I had an article go up on Malachi Branham this morning on No Ceilings NBA, so please check that out if you get a chance. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, feel free to reach out to me with any feedback, either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.